Hey friends and welcome to another episode of Atari Grad Student Study Psychology. Uh, my name is Nick and I am a second year graduate student studying clinical counseling and psychology and I'm really using this podcast to study for a big test I have coming up in the end of the summer. Uh, so what are we going to talk about? Well, we're going to do uh, Psychology 101 and we're going to talk all things psychology and I'm going to try to do this in about 15 to 20 minutes. So bear with me as I am really just trying to condense a semester's worth of knowledge into one episode. But if I miss something or if I haven't gone into anything deeper, don't worry. I'm going to uh, talk about that in subsequent episodes. In the meantime, enjoy. First, we got to talk about what is psychology? Well, according to the American Psychological Association, psychology is the study of the mind and behavior. <laughs> that's, a, that's a quick and simple way to say that. Um, but according to them, I want to read this off from their website. I think it helps a lot when we talk about Psych 101. Historically, psychology was an area within philosophy and emerged from it and is now a diverse scientific discipline comprising several major branches of research. I uh, think experimental, biological, cognitive, lifespan development, personality, and social. And there are also several sub-areas of uh, this as well. And we're not going to know all of them because we're just going to talk about one, clinical. That's what we're studying. Uh, so research in psychology involves observation, experimentation, testing, and analysis to explore the biological, cognitive, emotional, personal, and social processes or stimuli underlying human and animal behavior. The practice of psychology involves the use of psychological knowledge for any of the several purposes. Uh, here's the one we're going to focus on, to understand and treat mental, emotional, physical, and social dysfunction. So there you have it, that's what psychology is to the APA. Like the APA said, uh, psychology really first became known as a, like a philosophical discipline. You know, many of the early philosophers like Socrates, sometimes I call them Socrates just for fun, uh, Plato and Aristotle, uh, debated uh, many of the things that we talk about today in psychology. You know, they talked about memory, uh, free will versus determinism, and nature versus nurture, was a, which is a huge debate in psychology. And this was really what we talked about. Not until the 17th century uh, did a French philosopher named René Descartes came in and introduced something really interesting. He introduced the idea of dualism, which said that the mind and body were two separate entities that interact uh, to form the human experience. Now, you can think about that in a number of different ways. Uh, is that a soul? Is that consciousness? Is it both? Uh, who knows? Uh, that's something we can talk about. Um, so while these thoughts were still being debated today, how did we get to psychological science like we have today? During the mid-1800s, Wilhelm Wundt, uh, there is a name for your kids, a German physiologist, also known as one of the fathers of modern psychology, 
really had the first psychology lab. And what he did there was he used the scientific research method to measure reaction times. And uh, this was in Germany, by the way. So participants were exposed to different stimuli, and usually it was light or sound or anything like that. And they were used uh, to sort of measure how fast they reacted to that. And they were asked to report their sensations. Now, Wundt's goals were to record the thoughts and sensations and break them down into their common elements. Wundt's ideas were formalized into the perspectives known as structuralism, which describes the structures that compose the mind. Now, Wundt's application of experimental methods on psychology really revolutionized the way we have psychology today. Now, his student, Edward Titchener, went on to really formalize the idea of structuralism. He taught that human consciousness could be broken down into smaller parts, and he used introspection, which is just inferential data collection, uh, and broke down the responses of patients into basic sensations and perceptions. Now, this isn't used today. I also have to mention William James, the father of American psychology. Uh, he actually made his uh, psychological lab four years prior to Waltham Wundt, but he's not credited for the first lab because he taught demonstrator psychology instead of completing psychological exams. Now, he came up with the idea of functionalism that utilized methods such as observation to study the mind and behavior. Now, this would go on to influence theories of future human thought and behavior, and we're going to talk about that in a second. But first, oh boy, this is going to be exciting. But first, we have to talk about everyone's favorite Austrian physician that came into the picture soon after this, none other than Sigmund Freud. You know, he single-handedly changed psychology. You know, Freud's going to get his own episode, trust me. We, we have lots to talk about Freud. But for right now, uh, he is credited for creating what's called psychoanalysis. Now, just think about just the way that, uh, you know, that word sounds, you know, psychoanalysis, really analyzing the mind. And that's really through two things, inference and introspection. So just a little bit after psychoanalysis, which really focused on, again, introspection, inference on the unconscious mind. So two psychologists really didn't like that. They didn't like that we were focusing way too much on the unconscious mind. And, and think about what you know about Freud. He, he focused way too much on it. So we had Watson and Skinner, uh, two very influential people who are going to get their own episode too, uh, broke away from this. Instead of focusing way too much on the you know, the unconscious mind, they really did a 180. They said, okay, let's only focus on observable behavior. You know, how many times did the person hit their hand on the table? How many times did they say this one word? How many times did they look away? You know, that's what they were focusing on. And really behaviorism started with a man named Ivan Pavlov. Uh, and you now I laugh because I have a theory and the theory is you have to have a weird name to be a psychologist. And no one has proven me wrong so far. <laughs> but, uh, Ivan Pavlov, uh, again, had his Pavlov's dogs. He, he studied conditioning, which uh, we will talk about in the behaviorism 
episode. But uh, he really started this idea of behaviorism with his experiment with the dogs. While the psychoanalyst really dominated the first half of the 20th century, uh, Carl Rogers and the humanists really dominated the second half of the 20th century. And, you know, what do I mean? Well, the humanistic psychology, uh, this sort of thought, really just believed in the power of free will and self-determination. Now, he really theorized that people can heal through what is called self-actualization. And here we go. This is our first term that we're going to really dive into um, in a later episode, but we're going to define it right now. Uh, so self-actualization is, you know, being self-aware, you know, you're concerned with your personal growth and you're really less concerned about the opinions of others. It's, it's more just like being aware of who you are as a person. Uh, so hence the name humanistic psychology. So when thinking about Joe and self-actualization, um, Joe probably wouldn't mind uh, judgment from others if he was self-actualized you know Carl, Carl Rogers would probably say um, you know you haven't really reached self-actualization because he's in therapy and you know if, if Carl Rogers was really treating him he would uh, help Joe to really realize his full potential and Abraham Maslow really furthered this thought along by introducing what's called, well, Maslow's hierarchy of needs. This is a really popular thought in today's culture, but this is where it started. Now, he basically suggested that people were motivated by increasingly complex needs, you know, starting with food, sex, shelter, and then all the way to self-actualization. You know, and if these needs weren't met, you couldn't really get to that next step until you had those first needs met. Nearing the end of the century, uh, Aaron Beck, who is by far one of my favorite psychologists, he really broke away from, well, you guessed it, psychoanalysts, and said, okay, let's not really focus on unconscious thoughts and motives, but what's what is the person actually thinking right now? You know, what is someone thinking about associated with an event? You know, he theorized a lot of different things like uh, automatic thoughts, schema, and all sorts of things that are really used today. And that's why he's so influential. So what influences psychology today? Well, let's take a look. So first, we have biology. You know, you have your genetics, neuroscience, and again, it's this debate of nature versus nurture. And if you don't know, basically nature versus nurture is, okay, we have a person and we have their attributes. What is influencing that those attributes? Is it nature, which is their genetics, it's their biological makeup, or is it nurture, how they were raised? And which one has more of an effect? Now, what I can tell you from the my undergrad is it's basically both. Uh, spoiler, it's it's both. You know, 50 percent. You have some that are you know a little bit of more of nature. You have more genetics. Uh, things like bipolar disorder is a really genetic disease, a uh, mental disorder. Um, but you also have things like nurture. Um, and that could be a lot of different things you know i think about your traits like this like your anxiety traits depressive traits uh and you know so on and so forth 
So let's take a look at Joe, which is our case study in the previous episode. And if you don't know who Joe is, uh, pauses, go listen to that, then come back here. Um, so questions we would be asking is, does Joe have any mental health diagnosis in his family? Now that would be important for us to know because, uh, you know, if his mother or father had bipolar, that's something we would probably want to look into because it has a high genetic component to that. Um, there's also sociology, you know, that we, this is where we get, you know, uh, so multicultural theory. And what multicultural theory is, is just basically, okay, how does culture affect our mental health? And I, I chose Joe as a Latino man because, well, that, that's going to have a huge impact on his mental health, something that may be different from what everyone else may think. Uh, if you're not Latino. Uh, so so with Joe being a Latino man, how does that affect him? What what factors go into play? Uh, what um, factors in his culture might affect how he thinks, how he feels? This is why we use what's called the biopsychosocial method. Uh, it's really hard to say, and I had to slow that down because <laughs> it is really hard to say sometimes. But it, it's really just commonly used to conceptualize a mental health disorder, you know. And we we use that to sort of start asking questions about Joe. So we also have to talk about another thing, which is what is mental health? You know, that term is used so many times now, and I think it's actually Mental Health Awareness Month too, if I'm not mistaken, but. From the CDC, here's what mental health is. It is emotional, psychological, and social well-being. It affects how we think, feel, and act. And it also determines how we handle stress, relate to others, and make healthy choices. So think, think about mental health the same way you would think about you know, your bodily health. You know, there's good bodily health and there's bad bodily health. Same thing with mental health. You can have good mental health and you can have bad mental health. So how do we classify bad mental health or what we call abnormal psychology? You know, there's really um, a mnemonic to do this and it's called the four Ds. So how we do this is uh, we we classify it in these different ways. So the first one is deviance, uh, which is just not culturally acceptable. And we're gonna use Joe as an example for each one. So so for deviance, which is not culturally acceptable, um, we would look at Joe passing out drunk every, almost every night. Uh, this is really not acceptable in society. You can't really work. You can't really take care of your family if you're being drunk every night. Uh, this really, uh, really goes away from um, quote-unquote normal uh, societal behavior. The second is distress. So this is interfering in a negative way to your well-being. So... We can clearly see that Joe's in distress. You know, he's not hanging out with his friends. He is drinking a lot. He lost his job. He's not really looking for another job. And he really just said, Doc, I'm not doing well. <laughs> we ought to put words in Joe's mouth. He, he said, Doc, I'm not doing well. So the third one is called dysfunctional. So this is uh, really just any social, cognitive, behavioral, or emotional sort of dysfunction. And this has a sort of contentious, um, 
I don't know, just a, a upbringing because it's actually required by the DSM to have some sort of dysfunction. Um, and here we go. This is our second term for our test, the DSM-5. Uh, what is that? So this is really important to know, but the DSM-5 is what's called the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual, which is the fifth edition, so DSM-5. So this is developed by the APA, which is used to diagnose and classify mental disorders. And there we go. There's statistics. You know, we're going to talk a lot about that uh, and how we use statistics to sort of classify mental disorders. I actually find it really fascinating, uh, and I can't wait to talk about that. The last D is dangerous. So this is just being detriment to yourself or others, you know, being... Um, well, dangerous to uh, those around you or to yourself. And that's a pretty common one. So uh, when we think about Joe, uh, the, the thing that came to my mind is, you know, Joe is putting himself at risk uh, for drinking uh, excessively. You know, we're, we're not just talking about a drink or two um, and, you know, he's, he's fine. You know, he's drinking enough to get passed out. Um, that that's that's really dangerous because when we talk about tolerance, you're really um, increasing the level of tolerance each time you take a drug, and as we see here, he's increased it since he lost his job. Who knows how far he will go? But that's sort of uh, speculation. But it's actually really important to think about. There you have it, Psych 101, uh, a semester's worth of knowledge down into a single podcast episode. I hope you enjoyed it. There was a lot to cover. I know that, you know, and we're going to get through it. We're going to get through this. Uh, we're going to take each of those theories and sort of blow it up and see the little intricacies and all that, which I'm very excited for. Um, I'm very excited for the, the episode on Freud, by the way. This is going to be a fun one, but... Um, let me know if you agreed with anything and let me also know if I got anything wrong or if anything doesn't make any sense. I'm happy to do that. This is why I created this too is I want to know your feedback. I want to know if I got something wrong. So that will be a great thing. But until next time, study hard.